Welcome to She Wrote That. Here, our goal is to uplift hardworking female writers, bloggers, authors, journalists, and storytellers. Each episode features a conversation with a different female writer where we dig deep about everything writing related, from being a woman in the industry to developing stories to editing style to mentorship. Thank you for joining me for episode eight of She Wrote That. I'm your host, Charlotte Barnes. I'm so excited to be back today with an amazing guest. Many of us may have writing a book on our bucket list as a goal with no set date or plan. Even those among us who have written a book likely did it once they were well settled into their life and career. Can you imagine writing and self-publishing a book before you even entered your senior year of high school? Well, today's guest, blogger and author Michaela Wang, did just that. Born in the tri-state, bordering on 17 and bustling, Michaela is the author of Broomed, Blessed, and Braised, celebrating traditional Chinese holidays. Through translating and analyzing ancient Chinese classics for the past four years, she's compiled the histories and customs of eight traditional Chinese holidays, all written in her at times comedic, other times serious voice. The writing skill set she has diversified throughout her lifetime through investigative journalism, creative writing, and analytical essay writing culminates in this deeply anthropological book. Michaela also owns the blog Holidays All Year Round, where she shares personal anecdotes and family recipes from Chinese celebrations, as well as inviting others of diverse cultural backgrounds to share their own. We discuss everything from her favorite family recipe to her process of finding an editor and illustrator for her book. Stay tuned to hear our discussion. Tell me how you first became interested in writing. Oh, wow. Um, I actually think that it was an overnight thing. (laughs) Um, I think one day I woke up and I had something to say and I, and I just wrote. Um, I, I, I actually, I don't think writing can be taught to people. And I remember in elementary school and also in middle school as well, I was never a great writer. I I didn't really know how to persuade people. Um, I didn't really know how to describe or even like, I didn't know what imagery was. I didn't know what syntax was, but I think that writing comes from having something to say um, and asking a question. And as long as you have that, I I think you'll be fine. Um, But for me, it was, it was definitely just one day I woke up and I, and I wanted to tell a story. Um, I actually, it was, it was pretty interesting. Um, I had come back from a homestay um, trip to Spain. um, And that was a very transformative experience for me. Um, I I definitely saw different circumstances and experienced different circumstances that I, that I ever had before. And when I came home and kind of context, recontextualized myself and my identity, um, I just, I just started writing. Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) And like you said, it, comes from having something to say and you can tell just by from what you've done you have a lot to say and you're really passionate about your family's history and Chinese culture especially Mm -hmm. I was wondering why did you choose writing as the medium to share that passion wow that's a that's a really interesting question and one I've never really encountered um I think that writing for me is is something that validates both both my opinions and my experiences and something that can validate other people's. Um, I I think that there's just, even with journalism and even with nonfiction writing, um, I think there's something so personal about it. Um, And and I also think that there's a very, um, just a transformative power about reading and reading, especially reading like history and anthropological books. Mm-hmm. I think they really stimulate you um, to escape your own perspective and imagine a life and a mind of, of people who are not you. Um, and so I think especially with reading and writing, um, you can kind of express yourself and also change other people at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very true. I think reading is a great way to get your message or writing is a great way to get your message across to a Mm -hmm. lot of people. And so you launched the blog holidays all year round in 2019. Yes. As a way to talk about different Chinese traditions. Mm -hmm. So walk me through what your writing process is like for a blog post. 
blog writing is so much more different than nonfiction formally Mm -hmm. writing. Um, I actually was just very like attracted to the blog writing style. And I think it's because of how candid it is. Um, I actually, I started my blog journey by reading a lot of food blogs. Um, And they weren't just like the recipe ones, but they were the ones that kind of like intertwine life and food together. Um, So I started reading this blog called Orangette, um, which is a food blog by Molly Weisenberg, who's also a creative writer and has published a couple books as well. Um, And I was so I was so um, astonished by by how life and food can be like co- can coalesce, um, and you can portray such such deep life experiences through just writing a food recipe. Um, so I, I was just I was seduced by 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 that type of writing, and so I was also very very impatient when I was writing my book because I was I just wanted to see a fruit of my labor. Um, so then I started my blog because it was kind of like an outside thing. Um, and I could constantly contribute to it and see people reacting to, to what I produce. Whereas my book was more of like a silent project throughout the years. So that was, those were kind of the main factors for why I started the blog. Um, and then writing the blog just came very naturally to me. And I think it's because food, honestly, because the, ho- the holidays all year round is is a lot about food and a lot about customs. Mm-hmm. Food is just something so, I guess, so sacrosanct to my family that um, it just came so swiftly and so fluidly to talk about um, food, about making food um, and about its origins, um, or or also just um, holiday customs and and why we celebrate them. Yeah, that that's so cool. Yeah, I definitely agree that food is a big, it's a big thing that brings us all together. Yes. I remember mm-hmm. last year for my AP Lit class, they had us read a book about different literary scenes and tropes. And it was talking about how food scenes are all about bringing people together and yes, bringing yes, people yeah. to the table. And mm-hmm. I think that's so cool that you're using your blog as a way to sort of do that. Thank you. Yes, yes, definitely. Do you think that... Are there any like favorite foods or any favorite family recipes that you've had the opportunity to post through your blog? Oh, wow. Um, that's such a difficult question. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So I'm, I am I have a sweet tooth um, and I, I, I really – I just like anything that's slightly overly sweet and like super indulgent. That's kind of what I go for. <laughs> um, so um, for Dragon Boat Festival – um, which was actually a couple months ago. Um, we were, my entire family, we're stuck at home right now. Um, so we decided to make zongzi, um, which are kind of like glutinous um, rice pyramids um, that are also, that they can also be salty and they can be sweet. And so you kind of stuff it with um, like red bean paste. So this red bean paste is not just like mashed up red beans. It's like red mashed up red beans, um, a bunch of animal fat, a bunch of sugar. Like it's so good. Probably not great for you, but it's it's <laughs> it's the best thing. Um, and then you kind of you squish that into a pad of rice, of glutinous rice. So it's a sticky and it's also kind of a sandy dessert. And just like the juxtaposition between the textures is is what makes it such a quintessential Chinese dessert. Yeah, that sounds so good. <laughs> I know. I hopefully they can't hear me salivating through the microphone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I actually I went to China two no, it was about a year and a half ago. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> Did you go with your family or was it like a school trip? I went with my family and it's hard. I feel like it's hard going as a westerner because the yes, food yeah. is just so different and i think if i went again i would be more willing to explore the food because there mm-hmm. are so many great yeah. recipes especially as illustrated by your book but especially on that first trip and yes being such a different culture it's yes. a big it's a big culture shock right right yeah <laughs> i honestly even though i'm asian american um and i and i was raised speaking chinese going back to china had always 
induced me into like a very, very like severe, um, like out of body culture shock. Mm -hmm. And especially for you, I can, I can definitely um, see how that could have been difficult as well. Um, I remember I didn't go back to China for about like 10 years. Um, and I just went back when I was 13. And that may have been uh, one of my uh, another one of my life-changing experiences and I think the nature of culture shock is is really interesting itself um, because I I don't think culture shock is you necessarily like um, like freaking out over like a different culture but I think it's about you rethinking your role in that in that place and re reevaluating re your identity after um, like immersing yourself in such a starkly different atmosphere. And so I think just going to China, even not, not yeah, the food is, is, is so different. The culture is different. It's there's smoke. It, it smells like smoke in like my grandparents alley. So like mm -hmm. right away, smoke, hot, humid, sweaty, like that's just, those are the, those are the things that come to mind about mm -hmm. China for me. But I also think that there's so much beauty in it. And I think you really, you, you have to find the beauty in culture shock and to lean into that cultural discomfort because in the end, I think it will synergize us um, to be more accepting and, and for us to even be stronger, stronger people ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You communicated that so well. Yeah. That I wholeheartedly agree with you yeah and i think it's so interesting too because china is such a large player on the world stage but mm -hmm. i mean very few americans ever get to go there and i think it's really interesting to not only look at it through their role like on the geopolitical stage but when you go there and especially of course you understand this through running your blog through the cultural lens even stuff like food and their arts and culture it's really interesting to look at it that yeah. way mm -hmm. definitely and so aside from writing about Chinese culture and traditions on your blog, you also added a section called Holidays All World Round. Yes. And you're allowing guest writers to talk about cultural traditions from all over the world. What led you to start that? Yeah. Um, so I would... these past few months, I think for, for not only our country, but world, all worlds, yes, globally, um, I think that there... I think that there's a strong need um, to empathize with different perspectives. Um, and while I think it's very interesting that I'm producing content, a lot of content about Chinese culture, I, I wanted to give other people of diverse cultures a platform to share their own their own stories, um, especially with the racial tensions, I think, going around in our country, um, as well as I think us as a society viewing cultural differences as conflict rather than synergy, I think it's um, it's important to 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 appreciate other cultures and learn about their values through a lens like celebration. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very true. And I thought it was interesting looking at those posts. It's cool to see people write about all over the world. Yes, yeah. What do you think has been the most rewarding part of running your blog? The most rewarding part um, is, I think it's, again, I think it's something um, that's kind of related to just like writing in general. Mm -hmm. I think it's validating my experiences um, and in turn validating other people's experiences um, because this is definitely a blog for a lot of people, but I think especially like Asian American teens um, can definitely find um, some, they can find similarities um, and relatability with, with my experiences. And I think that there's just something so powerful about, about relating to someone else. Um, but I think on the other hand, um, also bringing different people together has been something I'm just I'm I'm very proud of of the type, the people that I've brought to holidays all around um, and the reflections and conclusions that they have come to through just just writing. Um, I think that that's just that, that's so powerful um, and so rewarding for other people and in turn rewarding for me. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that writing is such a powerful tool as we've been saying and i think that's so cool that you're using it to elevate mm -hmm. the culture that you love so much and bring people together 
Yes. Yeah. And so, like we've mentioned, you wrote a book, Broomed, Blessed, and Braised. Yes. Which celebrates Chinese culture and holidays, as your blog Mm -hmm. does. So you're obviously very passionate about the subject matter, but what led you to write a book about it? Um, I think that the the seed of of the book, um, the of, of the entire idea sowed in my mind when I when I comprehended um, the differences between American and Chinese culture, and specifically between American and Chinese holidays, um, because. I, I'm an Asian American girl. I grew up in a pretty like homogenous community. So I was never really, um, I, I never really embraced my culture as much um, like a lot of, um, of colored teens in homogenous communities. Mm-hmm. But I think it's through this, there's something so unique about holidays because they're so free and and so welcoming and inclusive and and almost everybody celebrates that i think it it welcomes everybody to um embrace who they are even if they're not part of that culture i think that there's something um just so powerful about holidays and so i really wanted to encapsulate the nature of that for other people um and then going back to that whole um, me distinguishing american and chinese holidays specifically mm-hmm. american holidays are great, you know. Um, we they're they're a bit like hedonistic. Um, so like we hedonistically mm-hmm. eat on Thanksgiving. We hedonistically eat, um, you know, hedonistically dress up for Halloween. We hedonistically do, you know, other things for Valentine's Day. Um, I will not I will not say, but I think we all know what that is. <laughs> um, and so, but I think that we I, I don't think american culture as much highlights the stories and the histories behind all of those holidays um and thus we don't have such a unified history again because america is you know a melting pot mm-hmm. of heterogeneity that it's hard to find like a defined um way that that we can all celebrate holidays the same way but i think with chinese culture it, we don't just focus on the the who, the what, and where of holidays. People really um, hone in on the why we celebrate and how we celebrate, um, because Chinese cultures are, are are like bastions of who who we are mm-hmm. um, and what we value, what we celebrate for. Um, just to give you example, um, there's a holiday around. Um, um, I think the early, early spring um, called Qingming Festival. Um, and this one is completely dedicated to our ancestors. Um, and so families in urban areas travel back to their um, homelands in, in the rural mountains. Um, and then they go home um, to, to clean up the graves of um, mm-hmm. their, their, their past loved ones. Um, and they worship um, some, some gods. Um, and I think that that's, that's just a very, very perfect, it's just a perfect encapsulation for, for our cultural value of, of ancestral respect. Um, I think relating back to that traveling to China and um, experiencing that culture shock. I remember when I when I got on the bus, the buses are, are very crowded. I'm not sure if you've ever went on one, but the buses, especially at 5 p.m. Um, work hour, you barely can even fit in there. And I remember there is a, a grandma um, and she wanted to sit down on one of the chairs. Um, and I was sitting down on one of the, the seats um, and 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 I, I just, I kept sitting there because I, I, I didn't really know that she, I couldn't really tell that she wanted to sit down. And, and when we got off, my, my dad had actually um, scolded me because that woman had been like staring me down for the entire bus ride. Um, and I, obviously I felt very, I felt like I, I was disappointed at myself for not doing that. Um, but I think that that really strong cultural value of ancestral respect, respecting your elders um, and the youth kind of sacrificing their own um, like personal um, desires for older people. I, I think that that's something so particular to Chinese people and something that you can learn through holidays. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting that you put it like that. China just has such a storied history and it's so interesting to yeah. see how the legends and how what's happened in the past still contributes to cultural norms today. 
Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. We are we are a culture um, who we, we hearken back to our values from mm -hmm. centuries ago, from like 2000 BC. I think that a lot of the values that my ancestors um, had 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 um, revered are the ones that my family still do, even though we're mm -hmm. in America. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And with China having such a storied past and so many different great recipes and different cultural traditions mm -hmm. and holidays. Did you have trouble at all trying to figure out what you wanted to write about and narrow it down to what you were going to put in the book? So my book is kind of like a cultural shopping list, I like mm -hmm. to say, um, because it's eight traditional Chinese holidays. So these are like the biggest holidays. Mm -hmm. um, some of them, I think some Americans would be able to recognize, some of them they wouldn't. So I actually didn't have much trouble um, compiling those all together. Um, but I think in terms of which customs went into the into each individual chapter, that definitely I think was a challenge um, because a lot of the customs actually coalesce. Dumplings, for example, are across holiday stable mm -hmm. um people don't even eat them on holidays anymore but they are like a, a a quintessential chinese new year dish um but you know people still people eat it like they're they've they've like manufactured it to be frozen you can like find it in your frozen aisle of costco that's how kind of streamlined it is um but i think that like dumplings is just like an example of of how popular um and how cross Cross um, how how these these customs often overlap between each holiday, um, but I think overall um, it's it's a shopping list that I think I compiled together like the twenty minutes before you go to shop, right? Um, and I think that's okay because um, it's meant to encapsulate the holiday as uh, the, the the culture as a whole, um, and so I think by just having everything in it. Um, it just represents us better. I just, I think that multivariation is, is what makes us us. That's true. I can definitely see that. And that, that's so interesting how you put it as a shopping list. Cause just flipping through, it does look like a list of things and things you could do before yes. each holiday or after each holiday. <laughs> mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And so you're, you said your writing and editing process for the book took four years. Tell me about what that was like. Yeah. Um, I really I liken I liken the process of publishing a book um, to climbing a stairmaster. So it's not like those those ellipticals that you like run on for thirty minutes, um, or you know those like five hundred word essays. It's like a slow and grueling mm -hmm. process. And I think the most difficult part, especially as a high schooler who wasn't like receiving monetary compensation at all. Um, I think the most gruesome part was not knowing when it would end. Um, like climbing a Stairmaster, you're just continuously, continuously going on that incline. And it's not just like sprinting, it's slow and repeated. And you're just, you know, you're tussling through all these primary documents and then you're trying to like mm -hmm. translate them um, into like comprehensible text for like modern people while still trying to infuse your personal voice with that. And you have to do that for eight different holidays and go through multiple rounds of editing. That was just, I think, mm -hmm. patience patience. I really, I learned through this process, if anything, I learned how to be patient with not only the people who helped me, like my copy editor or my illustrator, but myself um, and being okay with not being finished with something. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned going through primary documents and you can tell just by looking at the book, how research intensive it must have been. What was that mm -hmm. like? Yeah. Um, thankfully, my parents had put me through Chinese school um, for, for like eight years. So every Saturday, Chinese school for like two hours. So I know how to read Chinese text. Um, so translating the documents weren't as easy, uh, was, was easier for me. Um, and also, Chinese people actually publicize information about holidays um, like online. So the information is disseminated almost everywhere. So finding um, the information wasn't too hard, but there actually is a, a literature aspect to holidays as well, um, because um, the ancient like 
uh, noble literati um, would often record um, these customs. And they wouldn't just record it like, you know, a, a natural, like, nonfiction book. They would write poems about them. So you kind of have to decode the meaning behind each poem to and then translate it into English, translate it in a way that's more comprehensible for readers while still kind of hearkening to that that um, poetic lyrical nature. That's so interesting. Yeah, it sounds like your Chinese skills definitely came in handy here. <laughs> yes, yeah. So how did you find your editor and your illustrator for the book? Yes. So um, to, 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 to kind of put this in retrospect, I knew beforehand, um, before I even started writing the first manuscript, that I would mm. self-publish my book. Um, and I think the motives behind this were that I, I wanted the agency to control the content that I could put out and control um, the schedule of, mm -hmm. of, of writing my book. Um, and so with self-publishing, though, you're not automatically connected to a book designer. You're not automatically connected to a copy editor um, or, or an, a book illustrator. So the main, the first step I took in my kind of path to collaboration um, was trying to find a copy editor. Um, and so I actually flipped through like a bunch of magazines and my dad um, had this old um, university magazine that he's an alum of. Um, and then there's this advertisement for um, a woman um, who edits um, mm -hmm. books. And she's also a book, she's a writing coach. And she's, she's in rural Indiana, actually. And at first, I, I was, I, I found this advertisement, and I thought, okay, rural Indiana and a cultural book um, that definitely, you know, I was definitely stereotyping the country. Um, the, yeah, um, but I afterwards, um, I, I did a little bit more research and she's actually like a middle-aged Caucasian woman um, in rural Indiana, but she she went to Yale. Um, she's, she's very knowledgeable on writing and I liked a lot of the content um, that she had edited before. So I decided to hire her. Um, and I, I actually thinking back, um, I think hiring her was the right decision rather than hiring like a Chinese person that, that I knew would understand the customs. Um, and I think that's because I really, I wanted to broaden my audience to reach not just like Asian American teens, but anyone who hasn't even heard of Chinese holidays before. Um, so I think now that I think about it, um, hiring her was, was definitely the right decision. And with the illustrator, um, it was actually a very unique um, experience. I had actually just searched up um, some, some children's book illustrators for um, Chinese cultural books. And I found this woman, her name was Melo So, um, and she's award-winning. She works for a publishing house, but I think she also does some freelancing as well underneath. Um, and I just, I, I fell in love with her illustrations. I actually had read one of the books she illustrated as a child. So there was this level of intimate connection that I somehow already developed like 10 years ago. Um, and then I just emailed her. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't expecting a response, but I got a response and she was immediately interested in working with me. Um, and interestingly, she is actually living in, she resides in the Shetland Islands, which is a very remote region in, um, in Scotland. So it's kind of like an archipelago, um, somewhat like Ireland, but different, very different culture. Um, but just to give you an idea of the location, that's quite similar. Um, and she's Hong Kongese as well. So having, she has that really interesting um, cultural duality. Um, and I, I just love that complexity to her. And for me, a, a girl from the New Jersey suburbs, um, 17 years old, I just thought we, we, we would make such, we would, we, we would develop such an, such a unique relationship. And, and we really did. Um, and I, I think I, I made a lifelong friend through writing this book that I really did not expect. But I think that, I just think that our different intersections are, are what make our relationship so interesting. And she has such a special eye to be able to read my language and create an image out of my imagery. Um, that doesn't happen with a lot of illustrators and a lot of writers, but for that to have happened on my first try, 
was was exceptional and and i i couldn't have asked for that's so awesome else. that you guys have such a great camaraderie yeah yes, her illustrations yeah, are yeah. amazing they they look so good <laughs> thank you so much thank you yeah it was um that one that that relationship um and that um the whole her whole entire job was her job definitely wasn't easy but i think um like delegating these these roles for her was it was just easy for me i just got these illustrations and i was <laughs> shocked by the quality of each one um it was just yeah i i, I couldn't have asked yeah, for anything yeah else. it looks beautiful and so we sort of talked about how long this took you and obviously you're a busy high schooler mm -hmm. so what was it like balancing writing your book with writing your blog and then schoolwork and everything else in life um i i think i just militarized everything um it's it definitely it was not easy at first and i really i lost objective at first no one is doing what you're doing around you and i think that it makes you feel alone um and you feel like you're the only person doing this and that you're the only person struggling to to balance everything school life yeah just like you said school life social life um a, a decent um like decent health like those are things that when you're writing a book and also being a full-time student like those are things that are always running across your mind but I, I think eventually as i started growing up because as this book progressed, I also progressed as a person. I myself was growing up as this book was growing up. Um, and, and so I gained more objective of what I wanted in life. And I, I gained a deeper understanding of who I was, what I wanted and what I didn't want. Um, and, and through knowing what I didn't want, I was able to um, allocate more time towards finishing this book was it easy it was it was very challenging at times and and it really made me question why why i had even embarked on on such journey but i i think that just just seeing this book come together and and seeing everything compiled together seeing the illustrations and and recognizing the the deeper relationships i had cultivated through this experience um i think it really has changed me for the better. And I, I'm, I now can know, know how to juggle multiple things at, at different times. As simple as that sounds, I think that's definitely a life skill that I really, I, I honed through the, these. No, I totally understand that. And that is such an important skill to have, especially in high school. Yeah, how was, how, yeah. How was like balancing journalism and, you know high, high school like how, how how can you how do you do that i mean like i did a lot with my high school newspaper and i mean i was very involved in other aspects of school and then occasionally i didn't freelance as much as i should have but i think there are a lot of people who probably have a difficult time managing because they do a lot of freelance work and then they're also involved with the high school paper so it, it's definitely hard when you have other obligations outside of school on top of being a normal person, having a social life yes, and exactly. dealing with everyday life. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely get you. I, I also write for my school newspaper as well as my like, as well as an outside Chinese American newspaper as well. Um, but I, I think that they're probably not as rigorous as yours. And I definitely never really went into freelancing as much. I kind of just created opportunities for myself. And that really, again, came out of objective. I had objective and I knew what I wanted and I wanted to create things for myself. So I didn't feel like I had to follow other people's rules, especially with writing. I didn't want to follow people's rules about that. And having that objective just allowed me to really narrow my focus. Um, but I, I think I maintain like a decent social life. Um, you know, health definitely staggered at some points, but um, as, as well, maybe grades, I, you know, but I think there's sacrifices that you have to make, know what you want. No, there, yeah, there definitely are some sacrifices and you can't be everywhere at once. That's definitely something that I've learned and you can't give your 100% to everything at once, especially when you're 
involved with so much. And so you balanced all of that. You're on your high school newspaper. You kept up a social life. What do you think was the best part of the whole process, despite all the challenges that came with it? I think the best part um, was just comprehending the impact that it could make, my book could make on other people. Um, I think that there's there's this saying from Zhuangzi, which is a, who's a Chinese philosopher, um, and it's Jingli, the Qinghua, which means a frog in the well. Um, and so it's it's kind of this this thought experiment, um, similar um, to some some I think Greek 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 thought experiments as well. Um, and it's where this frog looks up to the top of the well, and and he thinks that this pinnacle of the sky is the entire landscape of the heavens. But if he gets out of the well, he experiences this culture shock at, at the vastness of the world. And he kind of has to recalibrate his identity to this new context. And I think writing and reading books may stimulate you to become a frog outside of the well rather than a frog inside of it. So you no longer have to be a, a jing, a qinghua. Um, and uh, I think we were talking about this before, you can you can really escape your own perspective and empathize with, with someone else's. Mm -hmm. um, so with my book, I really tried to induce that, that same sh culture shock that you probably felt when you went to China without having people go to China. Um, and especially yeah. <laughs> during this time where um, you know we're stuck at home, but we also need to reach out and find these opportunities where we're immersing ourselves in different cultures. I think that my book can kind of um, check off both of those boxes um, by learning about another culture, we can better understand our own. And we can also find the similarities and differences between. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. And although this has definitely not been a yeah. great oh, year, yeah. I think it did. <laughs> I think it did work out that your book came out at this time, because a lot of people wish they yeah. were traveling. And I think it's probably really mm -hmm. interesting for people to read about the yeah, culture definitely. in China and wish they were there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, like you said, aside from your book and your blog, you're also on your school's newspaper staff. Yeah. How do you think having such diverse, different writing experience has improved your writing oh, that's overall? That's such a good question. Um, that's, that's a really good question. Yeah, so I actually was first trained in journalism. Um, so I attended... Um, camp, a three-week camp at Boston University, and it was by the New England Center of Investigative Journalism, and I, investigative reporting, so I think it's, it's, the acronym was like Nesser or something, I don't remember too well, because it was like my summer entering sophomore year, so I was still young, but this was actually after my Spain homestay that started that kind of sparked me to write in the first place. So having this training ground where I could kind of develop mechanics of storytelling, um, I think that was like essential to me developing as a writer. Um, I, so I, yes, I was first trained in journalism um, and then I kind of went into more of the personal essay um, area. So reflecting upon myself and, and illuminating experiences of my life, such as the Spanish homestay experience um, onto the page um, and sharing that with people. Um, and then I kind of moved towards creative nonfiction, which was really the book. Um, so that was like incorporating information um like very heavy information like intellectual tomes and 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 creating it and and um kind of finessing it in a way um that was like personal to me and like unique um and could tell a very interesting story um and so i kind of culminated all of the skills that i had um i had i had picked up from journalism from personal essay writing um from creative writing um and i culminated all those together to tell a story and i didn't necessarily have to tell a story about myself but I had to take kind of these external forces um, and personalize it, internalize it, and then kind of spit out um, that, that, that experience for other people 
to feel. Yeah. That was so yeah, much. I mean, I don't know. It's just that it's just like <laughs> comes in and then it comes out. Um, and it's, it's just like a very thought. That's just how thoughts come into my brain. And I feel like with a lot of writers, it, it just were sparked by a question. Um, and then we develop that answer and that, that development phase is so long and so complex, but I think we just, we bring it out in some sort of way. And maybe it's like a magnetic force that just draws it out or maybe something that repulses us. But I think that there's that end product is something that is a, a product of, of who we are, even if it's not um, like specifically related to us. No, I, I definitely agree with you on that. Just having, I mean, even on your blog seeing, oh, I published this and with a newspaper and with your book, having something in your hand and knowing you put it out there and you did all that work and you got into the world. It's such a phenomenal yeah, feeling. Yeah, for sure. And so I liked how you put this earlier. You were talking about creating opportunities yeah. for yourself. And I was wondering if you have advice for students or aspiring writers who want to sort of create opportunities or take on internships or freelance and they don't know where to start. Um, I would, I think my, my first piece of advice for any young writer, whether it be a girl or a boy, it doesn't matter, but know that you are interesting know that you have interesting thoughts. And as long as you write about something particular to you and true to you, then people will be interested. I think with writing especially, we often want to commodify our experience or something we just like researched on the internet to please other people and impress other people, whether that through be, be through that experience or be through the presentation of that experience. But I think that at the end of the day, what, what makes writing so rich is um, ourselves and, um, and mm -hmm. in our own personal motives to write it. Um, so, so don't write to please other people and, and don't write to get yourself like accepted into something. Write because you have a story to tell and you are a fervent young voice um, who is as who who has something to say just as equal as an adult journalist or an adult author um, mm -hmm. I think young people especially nowadays have, have maybe even more important things to say than adults mm -hmm. yeah no I agree with you there having confidence is a really big mm -hmm. part of it and so I have a few questions I ask everyone who comes on yes so the first one is, if you could go back in time to when you first began writing, what advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself um, that it's, it's okay um, if, if you don't really know um, how to say what you want to say. Again, the most important part is that you have something to say. Um, and mm -hmm. the process to learning how to express that in a way that's like lyrical and worthwhile for others to read, that's a long process and not something that can just happen um, so quickly. And I think also trust other people's feedback. That has been one of the greatest challenges of writing a book, especially self-publishing. I just did not expect the level of collaboration that I would have. I, I, I would have to. I couldn't. I just couldn't foresee that. Um, but I mean, like in a matter of, of of four months, all of the traditions I had compiled and that unique personal voice that I had cultivated throughout four years, I, I just watched that all be disassembled. And for my younger self, who would have been just disturbed by 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 how much how much was was just taken apart trust other people's feedback um, and and while they, they 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 may they may sometimes be right they may sometimes be wrong I think the most important thing is just to go out and and lean into those types of feedback where you're not going to be happy at first because in the end those are the types of feedback that will strengthen you as a writer and strengthen your your writing style as well yeah yeah that's very true I think that it is a big roadblock for a lot of people to overcome it's hard to believe like everyone gets edited like especially if you're an incoming journalist like I've had people 
on my staff get so upset about being edited and they think that we hate them. Oh, for sure. But yeah. it's no, everyone gets edited and it's hard it's hard to overcome that and learn that you're not right all the exactly. time. But um it's really important and I agree with you. It's it's good to do that and lean into it and you just grow from the discomfort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what advice do you have for other female writers in particular? Um, for female writers in particular, because I know that the publishing, the publishing industry is, you know, not like a, a mecca of, of, of um, social justice. But I think that overall, know who you are before mm -hmm. and, and what you want. Know what you want and know who you are before publishing work. Because I often think that women, especially can be manipulated to produce content for other people above them um, and not get credited um, or, or, or be manipulated or just, yeah, just, just, just be manipulated um, into producing something that they don't necessarily agree with. And I think that, you know, for journalism, it's an interesting field because often you can't be opinionated if you're a news, if you're a news writer. Um, but I think that, writing is intrinsically opinionated. I think just the topic of what we're writing about reflects something about what we think is important. Um, and so mm -hmm. knowing what's knowing what you value, knowing what you think is important and writing about that um, and avoiding the other areas that, that you don't want to focus on or, or you feel uncomfortable writing about. I just, I think that's the most important thing and, and follow what your heart tells you to write about. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I know there are a lot, but what do you think is the most important skill that a writer can have? Passion. Um, I actually did a little bit of, I also, I also edit um, for my outside newspaper. Um, so I, I totally understand what it feels like when your, your writer is like, is trash talking you in the library because you, you like, mm -hmm. you had to, like change up and disassemble their their article but but I think I think that it's it's passion um everything else is secondary um I know especially with journalism there's quite some like jargon and there's 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 definitely a structure um to which you write your articles um but I think underneath all of that um all the leads all the inverted pyramids I think underneath that it's passion and passion is what makes you a good writer and if you um, aren't reporting on something that's important to you, then people will not find that article important to them. Um, be passionate about what you write about. Yeah I, yeah, I think that was really good how you put that. I think if you're not passionate about it, then why are yeah. you writing yeah. in the first place? <laughs> yeah. Uh, are there any books or publications that you read that you think have changed how you approach writing or what you like to cover? Yeah, um, so I'm actually a pretty uh, fervent um, newspaper junkie. So every morning mm -hmm. for like the past, I don't know, like 15, I don't not not 15, probably like 10 years, um, I, I, I just read newspapers in the morning and it's a very like, I guess insatiable type of reading where it's just like line to line to line. Um, and newspaper writing, um, it, it doesn't have such a distinct voice, but I think the information and the content underneath it um, is what really sparks my, my story ideas. Um, so I, I think, you know, beyond that, staying up to date is so important especially right now. But I think um, especially just reading the newspaper and reading what's going on and, and, and reading about the pain that other people are going through or the successes that they have, they have accomplished, I think can, can, can stir you um, to report on that or, or try to even achieve that in your own life and then write about it. No, I think that's very true. Yeah, especially right now, current events and seeing what other people are going through so important and i know it might be hard to choose because you've written a lot but do you have a favorite or a group of favorite stories that you've written actually i've 
gotten this question. Um, I've gotten this question asked about what my favorite holiday and which chapter was the best to enjoy. But I think that I'm going to step outside of the book and I'm going to just choose a story that I, I, I've written. Um, and it was, it was, I think, I wrote this in soft, in my sophomore year of high school. Um, and I submitted it to Scholastic. I, I don't know if you know the, the comp, that competition. Um, yeah, it's a it's a really popular competition, um, and it was a comedy piece, um, and it was about popularity um, and about being yourself. And I think it followed um, my sister and I. This was it was it was more of a short story comedy rather than um, like a personal essay that was comedic. Um, but it was it was a sister and um, a young girl, um, and they were getting ready for um a dance homecoming dance um and it, it explored the nature of, of beauty and of personal connection um and that that age of like 16 years old when you don't really know who you are and you're not really finding that place between not knowing who you are and knowing who you are um, and then also what what you do for other people and how your identity is shaped by by um, other people's um, determination of your worth. And so I just thought it was it was a very personal piece. Um, and it actually won an award, which I was I was very surprised about because now that I read it again, there's like quite some grammatical mistakes to it. But I think that it was just such a um, subtly, personal but also like fictional piece that I think a lot of people can relate to and something that I truly think made an impact on the reader. That's so interesting to hear about. You you really do have diverse I I, I I just go everywhere, yeah. <laughs> and when people read your work, what do you hope their biggest takeaway is? Wow, that's a really good question. Charlotte, you asked the hard questions. Um, I think that I, I hope that people can, um, you know, take themselves out of the well um, to not be frogs in the well um, and and to rethink. I hope that when people read my writing, they rethink their identities um, and rethink their values and, and experience that culture shock um, through this virtual format. Um, I really want to teach people um, how to view culture, cultural conflict specifically, mm -hmm. um, and how to see that as, as a beautiful opportunity of unification and similarity rather than um, an opportunity to kind of exacerbate the differences between us. Um, and by kind of taking ourselves out of this well and, and seeing the sky as a whole and seeing the surroundings um, despite the vastness and the overwhelming vastness of it, I think that um, I, I, just, I just hope to change how people think of other cultural groups and how they in turn think about themselves. That's so interesting. That's definitely good intent to have. <laughs> but that's all I have. Thank you so much for joining me. I, re I really enjoyed talking to you. Once again, a huge thank you to Michaela for joining me on the podcast. To learn more about her writing, you should read her book, Broom, Blessed, and Braised, which is available on Amazon, or go to her blog, Holidays All Year Round. To learn more about this podcast, you should check us out on Instagram and Facebook at She Wrote That Podcast, and on Twitter at She Wrote That Pod. Make sure to subscribe and follow and give us a review wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.